Hello, welcome back to Theology Happens. Uh, I am Rob Schutz, and you're tuning into Theology Happens episode number 31. Sorry, I'm dying with sin. I feel like I'm a little loud. There we go. So, anywho, welcome back. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, so, funny story. Um, hmm, I don't know how much background to give. So, um, anyways, I have a good friend of mine who... Um, fairly recently come to to Christ and it's just been an awesome thing to just be able to talk to him about that kind of stuff and and to, to help him um, answer some questions and just catching up and talking about religion and faith and and what this all means and it's, it's just been really encouraging and so it was funny because recently I was uh, scrolling Facebook and he commented on something um, and he commented on um, a pa- uh, excuse me a post on Facebook and and the, the original author is a it's a page called God. It's been around on Facebook for a long time um, and <coughs> has a ton of followers um, and basically the guy sort of poses as God but clearly has uh, a sort of an anti-religion view or just a very cynical view if he is religious in any capacity, uh, just because everything seems to be sort of a, of a negative event there. But the the post in particular uh, was actually just made a couple days ago, um, about, a, about a week, eh, not even a whole week uh, by the time this episode uh, uh, is published. But nevertheless, the post says this. It says, I love atheists because they choose to do good not out of fear of hell, but because it is the right thing to do. Now, if I were to make a meme, I would put this meme here, and I would then put the caption, tell me you don't understand Christian theology without telling me you don't understand Christian theology. Because this notion is not new. This is not original content. Uh, Atheists have made this kind of a claim for a long time, uh, or the, the anti-Christian have, has made this for a long time, whether or not they're atheist or agnostic, whatever the case may be. The reality is that this is nothing new. Um, <clears throat> in fact, the, the very sentiment behind it goes back for as long as I've been studying any sort of apologetic or, or, or worldview type things where literally um, the argument basically is that, ah, the only reason you, Christian, do anything good is because you're afraid of going to hell. Now, the trouble with that is, first, they assume that our salvation is uh, works-based, meaning we must earn our way to heaven. That's wrong. They don't understand grace. They don't understand mercy. They don't understand uh, the very doctrines of, of soteriology understandable um, who would put that on and they've never studied it I wouldn't imagine so of course why wouldn't they but then the other major assumption and my friend even made this point was that um, this post and this then argument assumes that atheists do what is good and there's a myriad of things we could get into that um, and I and I will get into that at the at the end of this episode but primarily i wanted to first focus on 
this notion that Christians do only what they're supposed to or only do what is good because they're trying to avoid hell. And if that is the case, then I think you as a Christian have a poor view as well. So first, let me turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 2. I believe I've covered Ephesians chapter 2 here before. I believe that this is not the first time I've talked about this passage uh, in one of my episodes. Um, but it's sort of pivotal to sort of understanding our basic belief as Christians, what it means to be saved by grace and, and what that really looks like. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 2 begins this and says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the curse excuse me, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now uh, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, excuse me, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So again, that's assumption number one within Christianity, um, that we are all fallen. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, that innately we are um, sinful by nature. Romans 3, Romans 6, a uh, myriad of other places, uh, Galatians chapter 5, right? We could go on a uh, myriad of different places where this reality is the case. We are sinful. But verse 4 begins, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, the kicker here, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Then verse 9, just in case he hasn't drilled on the point, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Boom. Ends of discussion. So we don't do good to earn salvation. First and foremost, it's impossible to. So that sort of eliminates that. So then the question that should follow, then why do Christians do good? And actually, even Romans says, uh, I believe it's the beginning of chapter 6, I didn't document this one, so you'll have to double check me here, listeners. Um, Genesis, excuse me, not Genesis, um, Romans chapter 6, that it says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul's response is, certainly not. And again, he sort of then explains about why that is. And we could go there, but it's right here in Ephesians, what I've already read, what we've already started with. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are made to do good works when? After one has been saved. So in essence, what this passage teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is that since we have been redeemed, since we have been forgiven, and since we have been saved, we now do good because we've been changed. So there's a very simple 
answer to the question, well, why does the Christian do good then if they are not saved by grace? We do good because God has changed us to want to do good, and so therefore we do, which is a great reality. We then could also partner this with what many cults and many false Christian movements and whatnot like to do and, and take this book and throw it in the Christian's faith and say, see, we must do good things or else we are headed to hell because it is our works that save us. But that's, again, missing the point. And that uh, argument stems from what James says. So if we jump to James 2 from Ephesians 2, so if we go to James 2 now, we will see James making some interesting observations in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay. So he then continues and says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with the works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and went and, excuse me, and sent them out by another way. For as the body from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, again, this parallels or uh, expounds upon what we just read in Ephesians. That, again, we cannot save ourselves. We need the grace of God. We have faith that, again, is given to us by God to believe, to put our trust in to be transformed but once again the assumption and the clear teaching here is that even if you just confess oh yeah I love Jesus but aren't living it then the question is then did you have a genuine faith given to you and James answer is no just like Abraham went and left why because God called him, God uh, counted him righteous. Again, he didn't earn his righteousness. He was counted righteous, but then because of he was counted righteous, because he was changed, because he was being worked, uh, excuse me, by, because God was working through him, he then did what he was called and commanded 
to do, just like it is for us. So we can see very clearly this is the teaching of scriptures that, again, we do good not because we're trying to earn something, because, again, salvation is a gift, grace, a gift unmerited to us. But, again, we respond because we have been gifted. So let's just continue to unpack this just a little bit further, just in case someone might say, Oh, maybe you're you're wrong. Let's go to Galatians. I have referenced Galatians chapter 5, but we're going to go ahead and look at Galatians chapter 5 real quickly now here too. Paul, once again, is the author here. And in verse 16 of chapter 5, he says this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Okay, again, there's a dichotomy here. You're either in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. Excuse me, you're either... Yeah, I said that right. You're in the spirit or you're in the flesh. So sorry, I cut off in the middle of 17 to expound upon that. So uh, 17 again, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other and keep you from doing the things you want to do. Again, because we have that original nature as children of wrath that he mentions in Ephesians, right? So we're still dealing with that. Uh, again, Romans could expound upon about indwellingness, when sin, indwelling of sin as well. Um, but again, we're trying to make some other points here. So uh, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, sexual immor immorality, impurity, sensations, idolatry, sorcery, envy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why will they not inherit them? Because, again, they are doing bad things, so they're earning hell. No, because those are the things that the children of wrath do by nature. So then in verse 22, there's the, again, another transitional statement or a contrary statement. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So again, fruit of the Spirit. Again, we understand that as Christians, when we are saved, when we have been given the gift of grace, the forgiveness of sins, yes, but also we become the dwelling, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit resides in us and therefore causes us to produce good fruit because just like the apple tree doesn't uh, strive to produce apples it becomes excuse me it produces apples because it's what it now does by nature because it's been it is that <laughs> it is an apple tree it's supposed to do that it doesn't have to strive at it it starts to do this because it's it's nature now again obviously we can misconstrue this a little bit and go, oh, as soon as I become a Christian, boom, instantly that means I'm going to become this great person and never sin and never fail. No, we understand sanctification. We know that this is a process. However, we can, can count on knowing that God is going to do a work in us and so that the fruit of the Spirit 
that's listed out here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things will start to become more prominent. And we will see these things more clearly as we go about that again, uh, this is a good test for us. If we aren't more loving, if we don't have more joy, if we don't have more peace, if we don't have more patience, you know, we start to have to wrestle like, okay, do I really know? Am I really being connected to God here? What am I, you know, what, what's wrong if this is not the case? And so again, we do these things to earn our ticket out of hell. No, we've been redeemed. We've been imputed with righteousness. This is the truth. So again, the notion that um, I only do good because I'm afraid of hell is incorrect. I don't do good because I'm afraid of hell. I do good because I am thankful. I do good because I know that I have been redeemed. I know that God has changed my heart, and so I want to do what is right and pleasing to God. Now, that then brings up a very important and philosophical question. What is good? Because here, again in the quote, it says, I love atheists because they choose to do good, not out of fear of hell, but because it's the right thing to do. What is good? Atheists, tell me, what is good? And then it also says, because uh, they're not doing it out of a fear of hell, but because it's the right thing to do. Wh how, by who, whose standard? Who says it's the right thing to do good? What is this goodness that is the right thing to do? Because basically you could go to a different group of people in various cultures and various contexts, and you would define good differently because of their cultural significance uh, or importance or whatever they emphasize, right? For example, and again, granted, we don't see too many cannibalistic tribes these days, but we do know they existed in history, and they never would have said eating our neighboring tribes is bad. They would have said that's good. Or we could go into various ancient cultures that practiced human sacrifice. We don't even have to get extreme as cannibalism. We could just go to human sacrifice. Is that less extreme? I don't know. You decide. But nevertheless, they would say, no, it is good. We could say, um, we could find even um, cultures today that particular practices of different things you know, acts that people do are punishable by being thrown off roofs or having hands cut off if somebody steals something or these various things. We would say those are good things, but here in the West, if someone steals something, we don't say cut off their hand. That's not good. But other cultures say it is. So who's to say who's right, who's wrong? Who is your standard, Mr. Atheist? Or Mrs. Atheist, I don't want to assume. But again, it is again. So, who, who, what is good, and, and what is the right thing to do? What are we standing on? We don't, we don't have anything to stand on. But yet, here, this person calling themselves God claims the atheist does good because it's the right thing to do. Now, again, one of the ironies here is that atheists will often say that the things that God commanded at various points in Scripture are not good so that they get to say what's good, I suppose. They get to determine, not God. 
what is good. So again, so you have to see then this this major problem because again, maybe the atheist does say, yeah, I always do good. Oh, okay, cool. How do you how do you know that? Oh, because everything I do is good. Oh, so like, what do you do? Oh, I, whatever I want. Oh. So you want to do like good things. You don't ever steal. Oh no, I steal all the time when it's convenient and, and easy for me. Well, that's not good. Well, it says you. So again, you can see this problem here, how quickly this very falls apart without any sort of standard, without any sort of s situation of, of knowing what it is we actually are dealing with. So again, this post then leads to very problematic conclusions. We don't even know what good is now. We don't even know because it's the right thing to do. We don't know what that means. There's no f uh, fundamental point. And dare I argue that the reality isn't that they are unaware of what is good, because I do think people know generally what's good. Again, we might disagree on some things. However, I don't think that's because there's a unknowing or a, a lack of, you know, or we just get to determine our own reality of what is good. Um, I think there's something bigger going on. So since I've already mentioned Romans, let's go ahead and go to Romans chapter 1. I think some of you maybe would have already known where I'm going with this, so congratulations if you do. But if you don't, then Romans chapter 1 actually says some very interesting things, namely picking up in verse 18. So Romans 1 verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Interesting. Hang on to that thought. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Uh-oh. Because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he, that, excuse me, have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21, things get very interesting. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts, uh, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, imagine this. Scripture is explaining to us that mankind has some knowledge of who God is innately because of creation around us. We can see order, we can see power, we can see certain attributes of God in creation around us, and it is clear to us that God exists because we know this. But we suppress truth, our hearts get darkened, and we think we are wise, yet we are utterly moronic. Sorry, that might be a little harsh. It just says they became fools, not utterly moronic. So sorry, I 
went for the jugular there. <clears throat> so a post like this, I love atheists because they choose to do good out of, assuming not out of the fear of hell, but because it is the right thing to do. Again, logically, if we break this down from their own worldview, they have no moral basis for what is good. They ultimately cannot say that murder is bad, that rape is bad, that stealing is bad. Because again, one could argue, because again, if one becomes the determining uh, factor for what is good, they can just say, nope, my truth is this, and have we not already seen that in society today? I identify as this, I say this, I claim this, uh, relativism that, subjectivism this, whatever the case may be, right? We do this all the time in our culture today. And so we, we will now make all sorts of blatant arguments about, oh, well, you know, this is the case because this person had a bad situation, so that's why they did this thing. Yeah, but it w but they still murdered 13 people. Yeah, but again, it was because of the... the, the. You're really going to downplay that? You can't downplay that. But nevertheless, that's what this worldview inherently must go to, because again, what is good? What is the right thing to do? becomes determined by the individual. There's no right, there's no wrong. Therefore, it's a meaningless statement and it's a meaningless moral high ground because there is no true moral high ground. Everybody is just doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And you can't question it, you can't challenge it. So again, they think they're wise, but they are fools. <clears throat> so, what do we then do with this kind of a statement? We can go on a tangent like I just did for the last, how long have I been talking? 20, 30 minutes, give or take. We could go in that rate, route, excuse me, and just go and spit this all out at them. Or if we find ourselves in this situation, we can then go, hey, what's good what is a good thing and then start to ask questions and sort of pro poke at this and, and pry at this to sort of get them to see this folly in and of themselves <clears throat> because either one of two things will happen in my estimations maybe three things we'll see here as i unpack this thing number one would be that they just double down on it right but again that they are going to double down and darken their hearts more again claiming to be wise and just continue to go no 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 no, you don't understand and come up with argumentation for why we don't understand and we can continue to go back and forth but they're just going to continue to argue okay maybe at that point you go okay you know we can we can address this another time they may also start to see this because they are made in the image of god they they do know God to some capacity because of natural revelation that they will then go, oh, and start to maybe process through this and, and consider it, even with you potentially. And then, like I said, then maybe this third option, maybe that's happening, but they don't want to be open about it. And so maybe they'll go and sort of search some things out on their own. Because again, the various context in which these kind of situations could happen. If a random person on the street, I doubt they're going to want to get too vulnerable with you. But again, if it's someone you know, maybe they will. So at any rate, <clears throat> or I guess in a random Facebook post, if you ever choose to 
get in the commenting wars. I've done that. I can't say it's overly fruitful, but if you feel called to do so, then I guess good luck. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's important for us to know that, again, we do not do what is right because we are afraid of hell. We do what is right because we love God. And we're grateful to God that he's changed us. He's redeemed us. Do you get that? The uh, Westminster Confession of Faith um, notes six benefits or, or, or six reasons why one might do good works. The first is it shows our gratitude to God for the gift of Christ. I've mentioned that. Second, um, again, it assures our own faith. Because again, if we are walking in, in the spirit, if we're actually genuine, again, we will see this work of sanctification going on. The, the third one here, um, it encourages our brothers and sisters to, again, walk uh, in great love outward. I, I can't tell you um, how crazy it's been for me to, to wrestle through because um, I'm listening to Voice of the Martyrs and just listening to what our brothers and sisters have gone through in the past and stood up for their faith. I can't, I can't tell you how much that's been encouraging to me, as weird as it is to hear how some of them um, <coughs> paid such a, a toll because they were unrelenting in their faith. So again, that's in martyrdom. Imagine, again, I just when we see our brothers and sisters doing what is right, we again can be encouraged um, to and, and focus our love on Christ even more. I know it always encourages me when I see people walking in uh, obedience to Christ. So uh, the next one, the fourth one, um, again, it, it continues to um, point back to the fact that we understand this doctrine of God and of salvation and the Savior's life and his ministry. So again, it's sort of a, a reflection of, of that. The uh, fifth one is it, it sort of renders our enemies um, quiet because if they see us doing good and they see us doing what is the right thing to do, then it's hard for them to make accusation against us because if we're doing the good and for doing the right things, if we're loving people, we're, we're showing patience and grace and, and kindness and mercies to, to people. It's really hard for people to then go out. Ah, see, look at the, all those stupid Christians. It's sort of hard to do that when we're doing great things um, for God. And then the last one is obviously um, probably the, the, the kicker. Um, it glorifies God. We glorify God when we walk in obedience and faithfulness to what he's commanded us to be about. Um, and so, honestly, we, we should be doing it for these reasons. And uh, <coughs> that's just the reality of our faith. Now, I get it. Some of us may be at a, a, a different place in our faith, and maybe we're younger Christians, and so we might have that fear like, oh, no, if I don't do what's right. But rest assured, brother or sister, you can't earn your salvation. You can't. You can't do it. Hence why we need the Savior. 
So take your rest in that, that Christ's work is sufficient for your salvation. And also rest assured that God's grace is sufficient. Your works don't add to that. Rather, your works reflect it. Again, you can't add to your salvation, but you can glorify God by doing what is right. So hopefully you will take that to heart and hopefully you will um, consider these things as you go about. Uh, because as we saw, we're in sin. We need a savior and praise be to God that he did that for us, that he redeemed us and that we can now walk in faithfulness and obedience to him because of the work that he continues to do in us. And we actually know what is good because we see it commanded in scripture. We have real tangible things that we can look at and go, ah, yes, serving one another, carrying one another's burden, uh, feeding those who are hungry, uh, visiting the widow or the orphan and taking care of their needs. James chapter one, right? That's true religion and to keep oneself pure from the world. That's what is good to not give in to the world and the sinfulness and then to serve our brothers and sisters around us and to love our enemies as we love ourselves. That is what it's about. And again, just to emphasize my point, because gosh darn it, I guess I get a little redundant and probably driving some people crazy because I'm like, okay, you could have wrapped this up five minutes ago. Can't earn our salvation. But praise be to God that we can't and that he redeemed us and that we can rest in. So thank you for watching, listening, however it is you ingested this podcast um, I appreciate you tuning in um, and if you want to stay up to date you can find Theology Happens in the various social medias out there Instagram Facebook I'll be honest I'm not that active but I try sometimes so if you want to stay in touch that's a great way to do it um, and again may uh, God continue to do his work in you and uh, may God bless you thanks